Hello and welcome. You're listening to Previdary Connect, a weekly dialogue that explores the latest business trends to understand how companies are adapting and preparing for a stronger future. I'm Chrissy Wissinger, your host. Each week, we'll be exploring trends in today's business world to learn how leaders, innovators, and change makers are reshaping business to create a brighter tomorrow. Welcome, and thank you for listening in on today's conversation, which is part one of our C-Series for Resilience Planning in a COVID Economy. Joining me today is Chris Wheeler, Previdary VP of Partnerships, and special guest Patrick Slattery, Managing Director at Canapoc. Patrick is an established leader in finance transformation. Together, they will be discussing the multitude of challenges executives are facing during these unprecedented times, along with a suggestive framework of how to navigate through them. With that, I'll turn it over to Chris. So Patrick, you and I have been talking several times about your ongoing conversations with senior executives dealing with this health crisis, but more importantly, leading into the economic uh, challenges they're facing. Are there certain themes that you're hearing from these executives that you wouldn't mind sharing? Thanks, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. And as you can imagine, it differs by sector of the economy. You know, we're seeing recession in, in a variety of sectors, but there are some that are actually booming, right? And so the responses are different in different sectors and to a certain extent different to uh, the geography or, or the locality where most of the business is being conducted. Uh, for retail operations, they, they tend to cover all geographies, so they've got to deal with a variety of differences. Um, but, I, you know, Chris, you and I in the past have talked about mapping how we're responding to COVID, which is a crisis, to the sort of structured response that folks in IT take when they deal with the crisis of some cyber breach. And I've, I've used the, the five-step NIST model as a reference. And there's a, there's a part of their response in IT when, when something goes wrong that folks refer to as right of bang. And that comes uh, actually from uh, the military and military strategy and and military tactics as well, right? And the bang being whatever the incident is uh, that then causes damage. In our case, it's a rise in the cases of the virus under the current crisis. But in any crisis, there's some event. And immediately, the step out of those five NIST steps that the cyber folks use, the step that almost everyone dropped what they were doing and engaged in was responding, responding to the crisis. And that meant work from home or in today's environment, what's becoming work from anywhere and dealing with that, right? Most organizations were set up to support working remotely, but not not the volume of remote work that was required when most of the workforce was working from home. So it was a combination of responding to that and then what I'd call environmentals, right? If you, Especially if you were in retail or if you were interacting with customers or other people, um, you needed to change the work environment to protect people, to keep them safe. About the time all that was happening, for, for the companies that have a calendar year end, if you think back to the April 
May timeframe, that's about when they'd be doing their strategic planning and they'd be starting to have the discussions that would ultimately lead into their target setting and budget process. And all of that was put on hold so that they could respond. Well, the response activity went on for months. And what happened during that period of time was it became clear the old processes, the old estimation processes were broken. Uh, for folks who were doing simple trend analysis, linear trend analysis of, of prior actuals, uh, those prior actuals lost meaning. Uh, there was no way to forecast the current year, let alone budget for the next year. But everyone seemed at, at the senior level, a lot of the folks that we spoke with seemed inclined to want this crisis to have some termination point to have an end and imagine that they would then return back to their old world. They would, they would have a blip in performance. They would have a significant downturn in revenue, but their business model would resume at some point operating the way it had. And we're far enough into it now, Chris, that it's clear that's not the case. I mean, there are a number of uh, things that are fundamentally changing for the near future the next three to five years at least. We're not going to have anywhere near the level of in-person meetings that we're accustomed to. And while at first that's not difficult to accommodate, over time, it means there's less trust building, right? Less new relationships face-to-face -face with customers, with vendors, uh, even amongst the team, means that over time, these trusted relationships that keep the wheels of business lubricated are going to diminish. Also, no in-person conferences or trips, and maybe that seems somewhat trivial, but it does reduce the level of awareness. It means for middle managers and senior management that they don't get to spend time with their peers at other organizations, and so there's a lag in their ability to pick up on trends or to uh, spot new best practices that they might adapt. It's also, for young talent, a different mode now for on-the-job training. If you're working from home, what used to be on-the-job training is significantly different. And so it's harder for young talent to develop the acumen uh, that they would have when they were first starting out in a large enterprise. It's harder to assimilate that talent, too, into the culture. And there's a major shift in kind of work-life balance, right? And that shift, I think, I think most everyone imagines that that shift is occurring across the board the way it is currently occurring for them, but that's not the case. The, the impacts of that shift in work-life balance under work from home or work from anywhere is different for different demographics, significantly different. And so combined, all of these things are making command and control less effective where management could lay out a business model and operating procedures and put some controls in place, try to automate as much as they could, but leave the rest to people following procedures. A lot of folks working remotely have to, they really have to improvise. And so there was fear, there was genuine fear at the executive level that that, that would result in, in great inefficiency, that, that we really needed to get back to the old model of everyone coming into the office or coming to the plant or wherever it was that they were.
But it turned out that wasn't true. It turned out efficiency is fine. And in fact, in a lot of places, efficiency is improving. Uh, so command and control, the stick is snapped, right, with the, with the, with the, uh, with the crisis, with the pandemic. But the carrot doesn't look the same either. The carrot doesn't look as tasty as it used to look. Uh, and so depending on the culture of the organization, a number of executives are seeing now's the time to think about command and control and, and, and how they better motivate people to be productive and contributing to the overall revenue and profitability of the organization. When there are a number of other uh, trends, most all of these things were things that were happening to some degree in the past, you know, up until early 2020. And what the crisis has done is it's either amplified pain points or it's accelerated some trends. And we're certainly seeing that in finance. I mentioned earlier that old estimation methods had broken. Well, a lot of those old estimation methods were pretty rudimentary. And so finance organizations now have an opportunity to step back and really think about their market and think about what's driving not only their own sales from a forecasting perspective month by month and quarter by quarter, but what's driving their business's market share and, and how we can actually use the crisis to come up with strategies and, and then drive those strategies to tactics that help us to thrive under challenging circumstances like this, as opposed to just responding to it. I, with a, a senior level member of the Institute of uh, Strategic Risk Management in London, I uh, had an interesting conversation just last week, Chris, where he mentioned that a lot of this is sort of like someone going to the beach and standing at the edge of the ocean and getting knocked over by a wave. And the first time that happens, you're focused on what, what I called response, right? You're focused on how do I get up? How do I make sure I can breathe? How do I, how do, how do I undo what the wave just did to me? But over time, if you're, if you're in that position for a long period of time, you don't want to spend your life getting knocked over by waves and standing up again. You want to learn to swim, to surf, to get on a boat, right? You want to learn to use the power of the wave. And that's the real opportunity, I think, for us in this, in this crisis. There's certainly been an awful lot of pain. Uh, we certainly wouldn't want to do it all over again, but we can think about how to best thrive in response to the crisis. I'm interested, Chris, in what your customers are telling you and what you're hearing with respect to some of those trends. So thank you for that, uh, for those comments, Patrick. What I heard from you were several um, often used buzzwords, some of them overused, like the new normal. But you mentioned culture, you mentioned resilience, you mentioned command and control. Um, the one thing that always interests, interests me is the idea of culture and what it takes for executives going forward um, to become resilient in how they're now planning um, more on the strategic side, planning with the with the new normal, as you used. Um, are there a couple um, suggestions or thoughts that you that you provide to the executive you speak with uh, in how to deal with not being in front of their senior leadership um, for the planning that they have to do going into the new calendar year? Right. Yeah. Absolutely, Chris. Um, and I'll maybe again take a step back from this 
specific crisis, right, from the pandemic and, and say, if you look back at crises that have been well-documented, those case studies, and you look at the things that went wrong when the crisis wasn't dealt with well, there were really two fundamental themes um, that surfaced immediately and were really strong factors in cases where crises weren't handled well. And oftentimes it's a combination of these two things and they're very related, but the first is denial. Um, if there's a crisis, you, you may get early indicators of the crisis um, signals, right? From the market or from your own uh, systems or people. In those cases, you have to be receptive to the signals. Maybe, maybe your dashboards, your key performance indicators are, are uh, glowing green, uh, but there's something in the underlying data that's, sig that's a signal to you that you, if you deny it, you're just ba basically going to burn time that you could have used dealing with it. And then the second related uh, problem when things go really wrong, the second problem is communication. And so clearly if you're in denial, then you're not gonna be effective at communicating. But even if you recognize the problem, but you don't communicate well about it. And this is the cultural part of it, Chris, right? There has to be a culture that understands that everything and every person is not perfect and that can deal with issues when they arise, small or large, um, but that also is very comfortable with communicating what's important when something does go wrong so that the team can get together on it and resolve it. That's those two, um, you could almost take a crisis that hasn't happened yet and write the post-mortem report on it by just looking at cases in the past where those two things went wrong. And um, even before the crisis occurred, if you'd written that post-mortem report and pulled it out later, months after the crisis had passed, many people in the room would be nodding their heads saying, yeah, that's what went wrong. That's what we didn't do. So thank you for those insightful words, Patrick. Yes, I think crisis management um, is very important for those who are uh, now succeeding in, in this new normal, so to speak, um, kind of embracing the challenge that's put in, put in front of them. Are uh, So as we kind of wrap things up, are there one or two points that kind of make this real to executives are listening to our conversation that you would suggest that um, they really think about doing um, uh, to help their organizations get through this, the current economic crisis from a financial perspective, right? So you and I both, you know, been this in this world of financial analytics for quite a, a long time. Um, and clearly there needs to be kind of a new way of thinking about things um, in order to, to, to make it through this, the challenges in front of folks. Yeah, sure. And uh, maybe I'll bend the one or two points if I can have a point 2A, 2A and 2B. Um, so there, there may be three flavors of it. But, um, you know, the first is, yes, you have to respond. Yes, you you know, if the house is on fire, get out. Um, if the wave knocks you over, stand up. Uh, so you have to respond. But as, even as you're responding, you can't lose sight of the fact that you've got to flip the switch at some point and start recovering and building 
building for resilience, right? And that building for resilience, when we talk about resilience, I think some people think of the term resilient as sort of being able to be knocked down by the wave over and over again, right? And, and to quickly stand up and breathe and then be ready to be knocked down again. I don't think of resilience that way. I mean, to me, resilience is being able to thrive, as I said earlier, to thrive in, in the face of uh, adversity or challenges. And so, you know, one point for a finance executive, one point might be, okay, something happened, it's constraining revenue, but think about market share. Because if, if this crisis is affecting everyone in your sector, and it's impacting revenue, then it's impacting everyone's revenue. What can you do? What can you do to help your organization grow market share, thrive, essentially thrive? What can you do to be sure that when the crisis has passed, you're not picking up that report I mentioned that someone wrote months beforehand and looking at it and nodding your head? What can you do to not be in denial to recognize the indicators, and what can you do to use those indicators to an advantage for your for your business? And then, how do you communicate well? How do you get others to understand? How do you how do you find data, break people out of the routine analysis they're accustomed to, and how do you find the data to tell the the, the new story? Because the stories change. Thank you for the, the, those uh, couple points of advice, uh, Patrick. Much, much appreciated. So, Patrick, so previously you talked about culture. And, and from my perspective, we we're kind of talking about how senior executives um, look to embrace kind of the, the resiliency around dealing with this economic crisis caused by this pandemic. Um, but what about or what are your feelings or thoughts on how, kind of how the, the next generation of leaders need to think about uh, painting or finding a path to a successful career, given the things that we all know to be true are now out the window uh, and, and, and we're in a new world, we're in a new environment. Right, Chris. Yeah, it, it is a new environment. And I mentioned earlier, as far as the trends that, that seem to be taking hold with a longer term impact than just the crisis and waiting for the crisis to end was this shift in work life, right? And, and that's work from home, work from anywhere. And it ties in, you know, from a co corporate cultural perspective, it ties back into communications again. It's difficult if the management in an organization imagines that work from home means sitting in your den or home office in a suburban house with a garden uh, where the greatest distraction might be a cat walking over the keyboard every now and then, right? Um, some of the young talent, especially in, in, in big cities where rents are high, they're living in small space to begin with. They, they went to the office to be able to focus on work and get work done. And it isn't easy. Uh, even a young couple, imagine a young couple in um, a one-bedroom apartment with, with Zoom calls going on all day. Hard to, hard to focus, hard to get um, uh, away from distractions when two people are in 1,800 square feet doing Zoom calls all day. Um, we actually, in a series of discussions with folks at Columbia University, someone coined this term, and, and, and I love it, and I'll plug it here. 
but they said they could see over the over the next few years they could see formal tuesday becoming a trend as opposed to ca- we used to have casual friday right this is now we're all dating ourselves by talking about casual friday but their claim was well we may see the the advent of formal tuesday that is you know pick a day out of the week where everyone dresses up for work and goes to the office and they get to interact with each other and build that trust and develop that culture and and i think for young talent, uh, that's an important factor. They they understand that they, you know, for certain jobs, they will be able to work from home or work from anywhere, and they may relocate as a result of that, right? To find uh, a lifestyle that fits their needs. Um, but they're also going to look for a company where they can grow with the into and with the culture of the company. Yes, Patrick, I, I agree with that. Uh, and what I then see is the need for companies or, or executive teams to kind of bring, bring in an unbiased look at um, kind of a baseline of where things are and where they need to go. Um, and they oftentimes need that young executive, that young um, mind to embrace the use of technology in support of taking the company to the next level. Would you agree with those statements, Patrick? Yeah, I would. I would, Chris. And I'd complement it with some of the informal components that we've lost, right? The um, I don't know that anyone uses water coolers anymore, but what used to be called the water cooler conversations, right? The um, the outside of the scheduled Zoom session, uh, you know, casual discussion, uh, hallway discussion, uh, quick comments, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, definitely. We've missed that now for months and we need to find a way to get the value of that. Maybe maybe the actual protocol isn't the same, but we need to get the value of those sort of informal uh, communications back. Agreed. And what we have taught, what you and I have heard for years, right? It's kind of the, um, the, the single version of the truth, right? Having that, what does the company believe is the kind of the true, the true version of revenue or sales kind of what, you know, what is, what do we consider the one version of the truth? So we, there needs to be the orient. So when you have those conversations, you need to be oriented around the same version of truth. That's right. that's that same baseline to therefore have a productive conversation about setting corporate strategy. So Chris, yeah, you know, in our discussion today, there are a number of trends we could have talked about, but we really didn't have the time, but two, I'll mention where there's just an overload of both cyber threats for a variety of reasons, but there's also an overload of bad information. And I think younger talent has, has honed their skills. They've, they've grown up with bad information and lots of it. And so they've honed their skills at kind of winnowing uh, through it all to find, to find the wheat, right? To find the, the value. And you're right. Uh, for senior management, they may be so dependent on on older established set sources of information that that aren't really working anymore, right? The, the the pulse has stopped on some of those on some of those sources of information, and so when they start when se- when senior management starts looking at alternate r- ways to get at the truth, the one version of the truth, they don't have the same skill set that younger talent does because because as I said, younger talent's grown up with an overload of bad information, uh, which seems to get worse year by year, 
um, but they've honed the skills to winnow through it and and to uh, and to get to the information that really matters to get to the the truth. Agreed, Patrick. And in a subsequent uh, podcast, we're going to talk about you know data, but I think you would agree the as important. As data has become, I think to your point, there is really, in some cases, too much data. So you need a, a way or a method of determining which data is important um, and how to utilize access to that data to make better decisions. And with that, Patrick, I'm going to end our conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you for your time as always. Uh, and I think for those who are listening, we will have another couple podcast picking up from where we left off in this topic and hope you enjoy. Thank you. Thank you, Chris.